so exciting to hear what God's doing and to really see the, the power that there is in the corporate. You know, we, we have so much to be thankful for, and so often we take it for granted. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, these wristbands, that's what it represents. Each one of these wristbands represents another life that we're going to put a pack into their hands. It's got a Bible, it's got tracts and details about all the various churches in the city, because we're working together, partners in the work. Yeah? So, let's see if the PowerPoint is working. So, we are starting a new uh, series, teaching series this week, and uh, over the next couple of weeks, uh, that's going to continue. So, we are starting with Pursue this week. You know, as, as God's been doing so much, what we see is the way God works with ordinary people. The, uh, the person who spoke to me all those years ago, um, and, and through, through what I saw of a girl being raised from the dead, was an ordinary housewife. Well, that's the reality as far as the visual in the natural goes, but in the supernatural, she was God's minister. She spoke the Word of God into a situation where a girl was in intensive care on a life support machine with the doctors filling out the death certificate and saying, when we switch this machine off, that's the time of death. We know where things are at, and this woman just came in as a friend of the family who didn't have any ministry in the church, but just had a vision from God and, and had the daring to speak out the words that she said. For two days, God says he's going to hold her, and the third, he's going to bring her back to life. And uh, her blood system that was blocked and her lungs that were filled with fluid that wouldn't uh, drain, and no matter what the doctors were doing, the doctors were saying, she is already a cabbage. She is already dead. There's no brain activity. Alpha waves and all the rest of it, it's all finished. There's no oxygen reading in her blood. We're telling you that you're saying this. And, and for somehow the doctors got persuaded to give the couple of days. You know, sometimes we just need a bit of a miracle just on that. You know, because the reality is there was nothing going on. Nothing going on in the natural and so this word sparked not just faith for us, who were believers, but it sparked something for the doctors. Well, let's just give it a moment. Let's just see. But, you know, another two days, if, if there is any recovery, she's going to be a vegetable. And all I can tell you was, in that third day, uh, every machine level that was up went down, and everything that was down went up. She just, she sat up bolt upright, oh, trying to pull the tubes out of her mouth, because the healing of God, she was back to life. And that's where I want to start with today. God, our King, is on the throne with a plan. You know, we, we've seen this with the message, and I'm just going to just turn with this to uh, 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, is the, this is where we're going. This is this... The call of God on our life. 1 Corinthians 14 in the, uh, in the King James, New King James, says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So, this series called Pursue. It's pursue. 
God has got a plan for us. You know, if we look in the dictionary, uh, we can see some different words here. It talks about the word pursue means to follow in or follow in someone's footsteps, follow behind what's happening. But it also uh, talks about it as being to carry further or to advance or to act on. So that word pursue in the dictionary is not just following someone else, but it is actually to take and follow or to go further with, to, to ensure that you're advancing. Uh, it speaks also to be engaged or involved in. It's not just that you are kind of watching something happening. It's not just following it. You can, you can follow with your eyes and you're just sat back and relaxing, but it means to be engaged with. Or to quest. Now, quest speaks of adventure, speaks of something that actually is going to take us somewhere with a treasure to discover in the midst of it. I kind of like that, don't you? So when God talks about pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, it's something we're getting involved with that's a treasure that, there's in, uh, that causes us to go somewhere, to advance somewhere. That's, that's kind of cool. Because I don't know about you, but I, I love with the fact that Mark and, and uh, Philip, you know, they're worship leaders, go over to Albania, it, it's, you know, it, it's not kind of the, the upfront people, so to speak. I mean, they are, because they're on the stage, but, you know, they're kind of the quieter ones, only they're not. That's the reality, is that God starts with people who are willing to serve, who will get involved somewhere who will actually determine that actually I'm going to get involved. So Eddie serves faithfully on the doors nearly every week. He, you know, he's one of those. Hey, if other people don't turn up, Eddie and Joan, they're there. So why do you think God uses someone? Simple testimony while the hair's getting cut, because Eddie's someone who's there, willing, ready. You see, you know, the thing about pursue is it is always love. Love is that starter, that initiator, that, that, that spark, because love always produces action. Love always produces action. Love always causes us to think, okay, so what am I going to do about this? Love compels us, we're told. The love of Christ compels us to action. The love, God so loved the world, he gave his son. There was something, the love of God produced in him such desire for you and for me, he sent his son. And so, you know, the word we've been speaking about, we see this with Jesus in Matthew 9. Just, uh, just turn with me to Matthew 9 in your Bibles. In Matthew 9, Jesus, he says he went around doing all kinds of miracles. So he was doing things, but it says in, in, the, in verse 36 onwards, it says, as he went around the, the towns, he saw the crowds and he had compassion on the crowds 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. You know, this year we've been we're speaking out of those series. has been step up, step in, step out. Step up in our relationship with the Lord. You know, there's a moving up in our relationship with God. But that always produces a stepping into relationship with other people in the church. And if that is at work, then there's always going to be the outward focus, the stepping out. That we as a church are not an inward church. We're not just about ourselves. But we're seeing daily that that compassion is producing something. So, so let's just look at this, because it says that he was like, seeing that there were sheep without a shepherd. Now, I don't know about you, but most people would then think that the first thing he would talk about would be the shepherds. But actually, Jesus doesn't talk about the shepherds. He's not talking about the pastors. He talks about praying for the laborers. Hmm. You know, I don't know about you, but lots of us would love to be around Jesus when he was ministering. See him there preaching and teaching. To see what what God had. You know, literally, it says that when you see me, you've seen God. What a picture. What an encouragement to be around Jesus. How exciting would that be? Yet Jesus... Jesus said something here, you know, it's it's amazing. He said, I tell you the truth, verily, verily, you know, this is really going to grab you. You need to know, it is better for me to go than to stay. Wow. In other words, it is better for you and me to not be around Jesus because something can happen, the fact that he's not around that couldn't happen while he was around. And as we're just, we're in the most exciting time in history. Because just what Jesus says in John 16, verse 7, I'll tell you the truth, unless I go, the counselor will not come. Or cannot come. It's will not, cannot. It's kind of some, somehow, it's, it's kind of the both. It's the same. Oops. You know, this recent series are done, God's been speaking about some stuff, really getting our focus, really getting us to see how much he planned for us, that we, God foreknew us, he predestined us, he then called, justified, and glorified us. There's a reason for God speaking this out, because God wanted us to understand the immensity of his love for us. And to knowing that love that he would have, that he has for us, God wants us to say, listen, unless I go, that's what Jesus said, unless I go, you can't enter into all that I've got for you. All the plans, the purposes, the pursuits of God, because this next verse that I really want us to really focus on, Ephesians 4. You know this one well. You've heard this so often. But let's just turn to him. Let's just just look at this a little bit. 
Turn with me in your Bibles. Ephesians 4. I'm just really setting some things here so that God can really minister to our hearts and take us to a new level. You know, every time God does something, he wants to take us from glory to glory. You know, God doesn't go, that's not good enough. He goes, that's great, but you know what? I want to take you further. He's never condemning on us. He never leaves us feeling, hey, that's not good enough. What are you playing at? He's not berating us. You know, it's God, I put the Spirit in you, and do you know what? You've not discovered this yet. And by the way, there's also this, and there's this. And we start to realize how exciting this adventure is. You know, uh, Bex, uh, and Claire and I, we, we got to see her, her graduation uh, via Skype, uh, via the um, streaming, the video streaming on the internet. Uh, there she's out in Mexico working with YWAM. We saw her graduation on Thursday, Friday, whenever it was. Friday, I think. Seeing what she's been doing, seeing the grace of God on her life, reading through her blogs, and seeing her, the progression is exciting. As a parent, you want to see your kids going further. Well, Friday night, we, I was with some of the young guys, and we were talking about those things, the frustrations they had, parents that made them pray. But now... They're seeing how their lives are different from folks around them. They live with a different viewpoint. Listen, I got saved at 20, and I had to undo all my learning, all my ways. My kids have grown up knowing him from that early age. You see, that's what's so exciting about Linda. You know, Matter and, and, and the team have done a great job, but the baton's been handed to someone new. And it's even more exciting. So it goes from glory to glory. It's not that, hey, matter wasn't good enough. I need someone else. No, that's been great. And there's a new season. As, as, as Linda and the team take it, it's going to go further. Because sometimes you need those new ideas. You need that refreshment. You need something dynamic to go on. It says here, it says in Ephesians 4.8, Ephesians 4.8, have you got it? You got your Bible here? It says... When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. That's cool. He gave the body a whole pile of things. So let's, let's just quickly look at this. So he gave gifts. He gave gifts, and you know these gifts, they come from not just what Jesus did while he was around on the earth. The reality is, those gifts that he gave to to the church, he gave them as part of redemption. He gave them from the throne room. So what we see is he gave them after he ascended. There were things that the apostles were able to do while Jesus was around, but they were quite limited. You know, there's some demons came out, some, some life, but they couldn't pray for anyone to get filled with the Spirit. They, couldn't, they could call people to repentance, but they couldn't see that brand new life because that yet hadn't happened. 
So though the disciples were seeing lots of exciting things happen, they hadn't led anyone to Christ, the resurrected, ascended, and glorified Christ. That, that couldn't yet happen. There was something brand new that needed to happen. So the gifts, though God, Jesus called apostles, the, the setting aside of apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, that couldn't yet happen until Jesus was ascended and from heaven, having led captivity captive, he was then able to impart or release gifts to the body. It's a key impart of what we understand that what Jesus ministered under was the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. So that even the apostles moved into something new. They got called, called as apostles, but not one of them was able to operate in the dynamic that they were going to be called into fully until Jesus died, rose from the dead, and ascended and was glorified in heaven. You see, that's, that for us is a huge power. We need to understand it's not just enough for Jesus to have been raised from the dead. He needed to ascend to heaven. He needed to see everything completed, finished. He needed to minister from the new heaven, or the, the new sanctuary, the, the fuller sanctuary that we don't yet see. The new heavens and the new earth that's going to become the reality. So what we see is he gave them from heaven. So it's part of the redemption work. Part of what Jesus has bought is not just the apostles who follow Jesus, but the apostles we then see of Acts, who weren't scared, who weren't running around, who hadn't just been with Jesus, but actually had the Spirit living in them in a whole new power level, not just the Spirit upon them. They could do some stuff before, but now, oh my goodness, what will you see? We see the Acts of the Apostles. So what we see is that those, those gifts are actually the outflow of all authority. But not just Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me in, and going to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. On the Last Supper, we, we read this, that Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth was being given to him. Jesus knowing that the Father had placed all things in his hands. And very interesting, what did he do with that? He picked up a towel and he washed feet. Men, how does your authority work? With a boot or with servanthood? Let's step back. But Jesus backed his authority by releasing from heaven, seated, proved before every power, authority, that he's the one. He sent the gifts. Mm. So what does it do? So that produces maturity because it says that he's seated in heavenly places, he who fills all things in all ways. You see, before he was seated in heaven, he couldn't fill all things in all ways. He himself, the fullness of God lived in him in bodily form, but we could only receive that fullness when he was seated in heavenly places. 
So Colossians 2, where it says, and you too have been given fullness in Christ, is the product of Christ seated in heaven. And us seated there with him. We're not trying to operate here on the earth as just as resurrected people. We're the justified and glorified body of Christ who are therefore able to step into the things that we have stepped up into. You see, once we step up into the heavenly places, we then can step into the calling and the giftings and the graces that are in our life. But you can't step in unless you stepped up or been raised up. And so what we see is he gave power to them. He gave power to fill us. It was full power, not not partial. So we have full authority, but we have then full power. You see, there's a working out of this that... uh, I've got to try and find my notes. You know, sometimes I I run too too far ahead of myself. But it says that the perfecting of the saints in verse, verse 12... You see, that perfecting word, it's katartismus. Katartismus. It means perfected. It means completely furnished. You know, if you, if you move into a house, you know, you, 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 you hope that actually your furniture gets moved there too. You don't want to just have an empty house. You don't rent an empty flat. You rent a flat that's been furnished. Or you go and take furniture and you furnish it. No one wants to sleep on the floor in a nice house. You want a fully furnished, fully fitted, and prepared or framed or restored and perfectly joined together life, don't you? I mean, the floor's a bit a hard place, even as a carpet, you know? It's not kind of the most comfortable place to be on, a, on, a, on an empty uh, room. I don't know about you, it doesn't really speak of welcome when you bring your guests in and you sit them on the floor to eat your food. <laughs> unless you've got it nicely with the cushions and all the rest of it, and that's the style of eating. But most of us would like to sit at a table, and actually we'd like to sit on a chair, We want something fully formed and fully fitted. And when Christ set into the body, the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, he set them into the body for an empowering work. He gave them for the edification, the building up of the body. We understand that God's intention is the fulfillment of us being joined together, being fully formed to be that temple in which, uh, joined together, that rises to become a temple that Jesus can fill fully. That's what it says in Ephesians 2. So what we read is, as God has set them into the body, how? In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 18, it says, he set these, these gifts into the body as he saw fit as he pleased, as he decided. You know, it's, it's interesting, it's, as it goes on, uh, in verse 28, it says, 
in, in uh, 1 Corinthians it's, uh, 4, it says he got appointed. God appointed those in the church as he saw fit. And he appointed, uh, I've actually got the, um, it's uh, 12, well, of course, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 28. He set them, he set them first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, the third teachers, then after that miracles and gifts of healings. He doesn't even mention evangelists or pastors. And there's something about this that we need to understand. You know, it's not some hierarchical statement. But when a work begins, you need apostles. But then prophets come in and they're going to bring direction. They're going to bring that, that acceleration of, of how it's going to work, that, that word of knowledge, the word of, of wisdom. But then you need someone who's going to solidify that work. Teachers that make that everything work correctly. But then if it's working correctly, then you're going to see the compassion works. You're going to see the healings. You're going to see it, it's a progression rather than a hierarchy. Someone's got to initiate it. Someone's going to back it up and then bring something of that, that dynamic of the Spirit into a whole new level. And someone then's going to bring stability, not just who's in charge. We see these things. You know, there's a, it's a depth of compassion to the work that speaks of maturity. You know, we can't just have people singing and, and bringing uh, verses of Scripture and words of knowledge. There's something of the divine has got to get worked out in people's lives. So God gave those gifts. So let's just look at those. God gave the gifts. There is a divine call for the office. There's a divine call for the office. Jesus sets those things in place, not men. So the, the ministry gifts, they are placed into the body at Jesus' express command. He knows us better than we do. He knows my heart better than even I do. And it's part of that divine core, actually, and, and we read about this in, in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, is to some he gave five to another two, and to another one. It seems like God actually has not just one size fits all, but he understands us better than we do. So God does decide who to give different size gifts to. The issue is what we do with the gift, not what we get. The issue, the challenge is to be a part of his plan. You see, the divine call is there, but what next? You know, too many people, they, they, they want the call, and they will try to work out the call. But you see, the call is confirmed by others and not confirmed by ourselves. But God speaks to us. When, when, when that girl got raised from the dead, one of the amazing things that happened in the midst of that is as I was praying for her and I was praying for her, her stepmom and I was praying for her mum, God spoke what I thought was about the situation 
about uh, from Acts 20, 20, uh, 26, where it says, I've called you and set you apart to be a minister and a witness of the things that I've shown you and the things that I'm going to show you. And I'm puzzled. It didn't make sense. How did this work for the situation I was praying into? And so as I'm praying, Lord, what does this mean? The doorbell rings. My pastor is at the door. And I'm like, oh, great, come in. I've just been reading through this. I've just been praying for this situation. And this scripture, I don't see how it fits. What's this about? And he says, that's the call of God in your life. What you have to understand is I have shaved hair, earrings, spikes. I'm, you know, Mohican. I wear black. I have just come off of drugs. I've just come out of all sorts of things. I am not ministry material. But the call of God was confirmed by my pastor and he then set things into motion, really not giving me much choice. He kind of said, well, that's God's call. I know that's right. Um, If I take you to the place that I got trained, you'll die. But I've just got filled with the Spirit at Kingdom Faith. I'm going to take you there. Maybe it was Raymond, maybe whatever it is for some of you. The place isn't the issue It's that confirming of others. You see, it's not based... God didn't go, Alan needs to be a pastor. You see, the divine call is not based upon my emotional background, my my spiritual uh, uh, training even, but it was actually based upon God's call into my life. But in order for that to get worked out, he had to do some work with me. Who knows that foolish ridiculous-looking young guy was no use to you. Hmm. I stand today because I've allowed, I've allowed that calling to work in me and through me. It has required obedience. It has required me changing my looks initially, because someone actually said, <laughs> someone dared and say, are you willing to do anything in order that the gospel can actually reach people? And I was like, yeah, of course, why not? We'll take the earring out and change your hairstyle. What do you mean? This is who I am, isn't it? No, what happened was that, they, that those early challenges... Those challenges to my character, um, the willingness to change, uh, and later on, uh, you know, when the Lord uh, showed me how he was healing people through me, and uh, smoking, hey, that's got to go. I'd given up drugs, given up alcohol, but the smoking, I'd never really given it up. And God just started showing me that every person I prayed for got healed over a short period. And then he went, by the way, the smoking's got to go. That's in the way. God doesn't just take everything. He shows you something exciting and then shows you the cost of what it's going to take to do those things. I prayed for people to get filled with the Holy Spirit and God healed cysts on ovaries because they were pregnant and they, they, they couldn't uh, uh, have an operation to get rid of the cyst on the ovary. It's on this x-ray and it's not on that one. How exciting. As a brand new Christian, that's what I'm seeing. But what did it mean? It required an obedience. It meant that I had to actually follow those promptings. There are are some folks here that those promptings of the Spirit, that that prodding, this is what it says about Paul. 
He, he says, you've been ignoring the prods, the, pr- the pricks of the Spirit, the goads. Who, who are you? He says in Acts. You've been ignoring the prods. And so, blinding light. In other words, it would have been a lot easier if you just listened to me first time round. I think a lot of us could say it would have been a lot easier in our lives if we'd actually allowed God to speak the direction and the call into our lives instead of doing it our way. Yeah? I think there's a few folks here nodding their heads as I can see. You see, there's something about this, like Jeremiah, in in chapter 20, verse 9, he says, uh, when I tried to shut up my mouth, your spirit was like fire in my bones. That some of us that we knew something of the call of God, we didn't know what it meant, but we, we, it, it kind of got us all riled and excited. And actually what we see in our own children, Abby and Bex and Joe, is those leadership giftings that are either going to operate in the flesh or they're operating in the spirit. And there's a choice. Strong-willed children are not to be broken, they need to die to themselves and need to become who they're supposed to be in Christ. And the fantastic thing is our kids got saved before they were three. Filled with the Spirit. They've grown surrendering their will constantly to the Father. What about you and me? Are we still surrendering our will to the Father? You see, ministry gifts, that requires equipping. The anointing. You see, this is how we tell the ministry offices. We don't set someone into the ministry office because we need someone to fill the role. We see the gifting, we see the grace, and therefore man agrees with God and sets aside for office. It's interesting, in Acts 4, when the church got really busy, the elders, the leaders said to the church, find us some people to wait on tables. But when Paul is leaving a place, he does not invite anybody to set the leaders in place. He set the leaders in place. He appointed the elders. And he commands Timothy, later on, when Timothy's in the letter to Timothy, he says, he tells them, I instructed you how to do it. Now do it. Whoa, no democracy in the church about who gets set into place. But what do we do? We appoint those that we see the giftings and grace on. Because that gifting and grace, the anointing confirms the call and follows the call. There should be the example of lives being worked out. That fitting together, that working together, that's work, that plan. You see, it's, but there's, there's an important part to it. You see, before the ministry office comes the gifts. And I started that, you know, we started with some testimonies of things that happened. And that, that testimony of that, that, that lady that, uh, that spoke that word, that was instrumental in seeing someone raised from the dead, For me, it's one of the things that a lot of us want to pray for people to be raised from the dead. But unless you receive something of a dynamic, living, right now word from God, don't try and raise anybody from the dead. It won't work. It needs unusual, extraordinary faith. It isn't just 
God's called me, I'm going to do it. But that we need something additional. There are people that seem to be able to raise people from the dead quite quickly and often. Okay? They are the exception. We're supposed to listen to the Lord and know what to do. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. But we want to just go right somewhere. This is our problem. And often what happens is we do it out of our own need, out of our own heart of compassion. We want this person raised from the dead. Yet if they know Christ, then there's a better place to be. But if they don't, let's start praying fast. But you see, the compassion can overtake, our, our, our emotions can overtake the spirit. We're trying to see something happen that we want and desire rather than actually flowing in the gift. You see, one of the things that I've noticed is the gifts control and run me and my life, not me control the gifts. The call of God in my life has meant that I have had to reset priorities, reset my giving, reset my family, relocate. The call has directed my life, not me. The gift is not, sub although it's subject to me, I have to line myself up with the gift in order for the gift to work. Many are called, few are chosen. Because many do not actually line themselves up with God's call and plan for their lives to the exclusion of all other things. Hey, I believe in prosperity. But I serve as the pastor even if I get no salary. Is that right for me not to get a salary? Of course not. But do I serve for money or do I serve the Lord? Did you hear the... Yeah? Otherwise, we chase money and chase prosperity. And we chase those that are okay, but they're not the goal. The goal is to serve Christ, and we need money. And the gospel's appointed, finances and all the rest of it. But you see, as part of this, a season that we are in, God has called us into this. Ananias, we hear about him in one place in the scriptures. He was praying in the place that Paul is blind and he's getting a vision. He's clearly not a leader because it speaks about him on no other occasion. But out of that whole church that's fled, one man, Jesus, is able to speak to and say, Go and pray for Paul. What, the one that's trying to kill us? Who else did God speak to but one man went? One man went and had the daring to say, Jesus told me to lay hands on you and pray for you. So he went with a vision. He laid hands, he saw healing. He released the Holy Spirit and filled and Paul got filled with the Holy Spirit. So this ordinary believer set the man who wrote a third of the New Testament off in his ministry. Instead of leaving him blind and struggling, he got to share in all the rewards of what happened next. 
What about us? Are the visions that you are hearing from God, are the plans and the purposes that he's expressing going to enable you to do one major deed that gets written down in history and it doesn't matter, but you'll be faithful for the rest of your life, even if that's all that ever happens with you, or whether you hit the platform and you're doing all the things that, like me, or someone more, much more famous on TV, who then ends his days still resolute, like Billy Graham, or are we those, like the TV evangelists who have gone by the wayside, where other stuff got in the way, whose ministries are no more? Are we willing to face and go for the call of God in our lives? Because that's what it means to pursue. That's what it means to pursue. But before we can do so, there's the gifts. And we are going to un- allow God to un- really unpack some stuff over the next couple of weeks about the gifts. Gifts of the Spirit. We, we kind of know them. But we're going to step into more of it. We're going to step up higher. How are we going to see some of these operate? But I believe this morning God wants to reset some of those callings. Pastor Sheila never gets to preach in this place. Rarely. But you know what? Without her, I wouldn't be able to preach because I'd be so busy doing other stuff. She ministers, covers stuff, enables me to then spend time in the Word and prayer and other things. We recognize the gifting, the graces. Becky is the, uh, the youth and children's pastor. We got her to pray, not Claire and me. We, we did the praying for the person, but we got her to publicly pray and release something of the graces and giftings in her for children's ministry that goes way beyond Claire and I's ministry. You see, what God called us and promised Claire and me was that the anointing that we had was an anointing that would enable people of greater giftings than us to be based here and minister from here out. So Martin is seeing, what, two and a half thousand missionaries outside. Has no place of authority position in this church, but it's an outflow of this church. That... Mark and Phil, faithfully serving on the worship team, go out and minister the word that they have in other places and miracles happen. That Kiwul and others that have have just come back, uh, Kiwul's out in India, ministering, seeing more things happen there than he is here. So do you get dissatisfied with where you are or do you realize that the place that God's anointed and graced you to be is here so that everywhere you go, life happens? If that's the case, let's get on our feet and let's just embrace that call afresh today. Step up. Come on. Father. Father, we refuse to take for granted the gift, the grace, the calling you put on us corporately and the grace that you put on us individually. Lord, we just want to recognize that grace, that gift, and that call 
is a gift from you that's irrevocable, but it's waiting for us to pursue. And Father, as we have spent this time plugged in, stepping in, we're remaining there. We're not going back down. We're not backing off from the call. We're not going to let the other voices of the world and reason and life and issues choke. But we're stepping in and we're staying up and in and the things that you called us to, Father. We're staying up, Father. And we make ourselves freely available afresh today, Jesus. Thank you for the anointing. And we agree with you disciplining us so that we walk out that anointing the way you said. Father, if that's visions in the night, then we say, you're allowed to wake us up. If that's a word of knowledge in the middle of our workplace, that it's going to mean we have to change what we're doing and have to speak out, we say, yes, Lord. If it means coming out on a Thursday night and speaking with a drunk when it's raining and not very nice, we say, yes, Lord. If it means sacrificing time with our kids or our husbands and wives or our boyfriends and girlfriends to be trained by you, we say, yes, Lord. And if it means resharpening gifts that you have placed in our lives, we say yes. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. A friend of ours several years ago, I think it was almost 20 years ago, was woken up one night with the Lord telling her to go to the airport here in Manchester. And the first she rolled over, and the second time she rolled over, and the third time she got up. And she rolled into the, hospital, uh, into the uh, airport at 2 o'clock in the morning, thinking there was no one around. He eventually found a seat to sit in, and a woman came and sat next to her, and they just began to talk about the call, how it went aboard and go on the holiday. And it was really clear to this friend of ours that the, this woman was uh, the person she was there for. She talked to her. Turned out the woman was a Christian but had walked away from God. She led her back to the Lord, prayed for her there and then, and went home celebrating and rejoicing in God's goodness that she'd been used by God 
to discover that the Manchester airport disaster had happened and that a woman was one of the people that died in that plane. She is a minister in Burundi. And Rwanda has been, has been ministering in the middle of genocides and orphanages. She runs out there. That's what she does now. It started back then. Jesus, I am willing to let you take me anywhere and work any part of that call in my life, whether it takes me to the ends of the world or whether it roots and establishes me here, we're saying yes to that Jesus, to being used by you and not being silent, but sharing the visions and plans that you give. In Jesus' name, amen.